You're listening to Augustus Cho's Fry It Up podcast on the Nana Music Network. That I think Pure got a piece of. Here's the puck in the corner. Ruskowski battling now with Randy Gregg. And uh, Cicerelli trying to chip it out. Greg got it loose around the boards. Rouse pinches in. Now Muni knocked it down. He's checked, gets it again in the corner. He'll work it uh, up on the boards, but it's knocked down by Rouse again. Centers and Ruskowski right in his shot. Great save by Grant Fuhr. Well, Terry Ruskowski. Ruskowski was about 25 feet out. Grant Fuhr was moving out. Ruskowski shot it on the glove side. Grant on today's Fry It Up with Augustus Cho, my guest has won five Stanley Cup titles was a six-time All-Star selection, and in 2003, he was elected to the Ice Hockey Hall of Fame. And if that's not enough, 2017, only three years ago, he was named one of the 100 greatest National Hockey League players in history. And with that glorious achievements, we welcome to the mic the six-time All-Star goaltender, Grant Fuhr. How are you, Grant? I'm good, Augustus. How are you? Good. All right. Thanks for uh, being with us today. Um, it's a pleasure talking to someone in such a faraway place. As it, are you in Alberta or are you in the Vancouver area? I'm actually in Palm Springs right now. <laughs> so I moved, I moved down here about eight years ago. I guess it's for the weather, huh? <laughs> it's definitely for the weather. I'm not a big fan of winter anymore. I hear you. Uh, I think you and I are in the same generation. We come from the last uh, century, so I feel your pain. Um, let's give the big picture of who you are. You played in the National Hockey League from 1981 through almost 20 years to 1999. And in that time, uh, you played for 10 years for Edmonton Oilers and Toronto Maple Leafs, Buffalo Sabres, LA Kings, St. Louis Blues, and Calgary Flames for a total of 19 years. That's a longevity in any sports. How'd you, um, how did you achieve that such an uh, unusual record? You know what? I think a lot of us because I love the game. I think that's the biggest thing that kept me going over the years. I mean, during, over time and that sort of thing, you end up with injuries and this and that, but a love of the game carries you a long ways. That's great. Um, you also played for the uh, Canadian national teams along the way. And uh, when you actually got drafted back in 1981, did you ever imagine that your career would last this long? No. I, when I got drafted, I, one, I was just happy to be drafted. Two, I thought well, if I could play even one game, I'd be ecstatic. The figure that I would last 19 years, I had no idea at that time. Okay. Let's talk about your early years. Uh, when you were growing up, uh, according to the research that uh, I was able to do, uh, you were adopted by Betty Wheeler and Robert Fuhrer. Is that right? No, sorry, you just froze. Okay. Did you hear my question? I did not. I got okay. the adopted part. Okay. So you were adopted uh, based on the research that I've done by Betty Wheeler and Robert Fuhrer. And my understanding is that uh, your adoptive mother, Betty, was uh, part of the Enoch Cree Nation. Is that correct? Uh, you know what? My parents weren't part of the Cree Nation, but... I was fortunate enough there growing up as a kid that I played a lot of hockey at the Enoch Cree Nation. Okay. So I've got a little bit of Indian, I've got a little bit of Indian background in me. I've got a little bit of German in me. I've got kind of a Heinz 57. I've got a, a mix. 
So how did so, they get this? How did they get this idea that you're biracial? I've got a little bit of African American in me. I'm kind of a mix of everything. So, but I mean, I've in the hockey world, I've got a little better tan than everybody else. So it kind of worked out that way. That I am a little. I've got a a mix of everything. Is how it worked out. I got you. Um, when you were growing up, what was your early life like with uh, Betty Wheeler and uh, your father's adoptive father, Fur? You know what? I had, they're great parents, very hardworking, and we didn't have a lot, so they kind of sacrificed a little bit, so I was able to play a game that I loved. I mean, all my friends and the kids around the neighborhood played hockey, so I, they found ways to get me to the rink. They found ways to get me equipment, that sort of thing. So they made a big sacrifice for me to be able to play. So they were really good parents for you. They're great parents for me. And they gave me every opportunity in life to succeed. Are they still around? Nope. Uh, Dad passed when I was 20, going on 23, going on 24. And then mom passed in 2000, the year I retired. Well, God bless their soul. May they rest rest in peace. Uh, When you were uh, in your early years playing for a Korean nation, or Enoch Nation, rather. Um, there was also Coach Bill LaForge, who was the Vancouver Canucks coach. And he's a legendary co- hockey coach, obviously. But he was also part of the Enoch Cree Nation. <laughs> Were you influenced by his presence in any sense? Did you identify with him? Uh, you know what? I was lucky to play for Billy. I mean, he's kind of an old – he was a very old-school coach where there was no gray area. He was hard on the kids. <laughs> and it kind of set a precedent for when I turned pro that here's what you do. You, they ask, you perform. There's no debating. There's no none, none of that. So he's a great guy to play with. Do you think that he was misunderstood a lot by other people that didn't quite understand uh, his coaching style, sort of resembling Bobby Knight? Uh, you know, I don't know if it was a misunderstanding or they just didn't like it. I mean, the guys that played for him, you love playing for him. The guys that maybe didn't have their hearts weren't in it 100% would have hated playing for him because he was hard on guys. And if you understood that it was to make you better, you enjoyed it. If you didn't really want to get better, you'd have hated it. So he sounds like a good drill sergeant during basic training, huh? Oh, he did fit basic training very well. (laughs) Now, uh, in the mid-70s, I think you were in your maybe around 15 years old or so, uh, you played for uh, Enoch Tomahawk hockey team. What was that like? It was great. I mean, I played with a couple of guys I grew up with, but... Around where I grew up, Enoch was the only indoor rink at that time. Everything else was outdoors. So I played juvenile for the Tomahawks. And got we played a lot of good teams. And the great thing about playing in Enoch is we went we traveled to a lot of different tournaments. So you got a lot of good competition, and we had some good teams. So you didn't feel like you were deprived of anything by being on that uh, league? No, not at all. If anything, it was a benefit because we got extra ice time. We got everything we needed there. And they made us feel like a great organization. And I guess that you had the community support of the whole uh, city around you? We did. I mean, between Spruce Grove, Stony Plain, Enoch, that's basically where all the kids came from. So, and the kids that were on the reserve. So How we had you, a lot of fan support. Great. How did you end up being on the Western Hockey League at Victoria Cougars around 17 years old? How, what was the process there? Uh, my parents got a call from a gentleman by the name of Ken LaRue, who was scouting for Victoria at the time. And 
he had taken an interest in the figuring that maybe I could play at the next level. And I got an invite out to training camp the one year, went out to training camp, I think when I was 16, got my feet wet, got a chance to see what the game was like. And the next year they invited me back again and I ended up staying there. Now, for the people in the south of uh, Canada, um, we don't play hockey all year long, but where you were growing up, I mean, how many months out of the year did they play hockey? Oh, we played probably seven, eight months of the year. I mean, I, we played a little bit of street hockey in the summer too. So you could say we played year round, but it was different. I mean, a lot of us played baseball in the summer. and So it wasn't a 12-month-a-year sport. Did you play uh, goalie at the time as well? I played goalie day one and stayed right through. I mean, <laughs> right up until, what, about five years ago? I think five years ago was the last time I had the equipment on, and I played goalie in. So. Excellent. Uh, I mean, you had a good uh, couple of goalie. Yeah, yeah. It, that's like being a catcher in, on a baseball team, you know. It's, it's a tough a tough position to play. After two uh, good seasons at Victoria, um, you had a pretty good run there, right? One time you won the national, uh, the, uh, the championship game as well as – a trip to the Memorial Cup in 1981. Yeah, we had a good hockey team there. I mean, we had a lot of guys that were drafted to the National Hockey League, and it was treated like it was a professional team where we practiced midday like professional teams did. We trained like a professional teams. So it was a transition before I got to the Hockey League. Did you ever feel like you were deprived of your normal child teenage years because you were playing hockey, you were focused on hockey at that time? No, that's what I wanted to do. I mean, you could look at it as maybe I didn't have the same childhood as somebody else, but it wasn't what I was worried about. I wanted to play hockey, and I loved playing hockey, and I loved being at the rink every day, so I thought it was a great childhood. And you achieved the dream of your childhood when you got drafted in 1981. Um, you went eighth overall to Edmonton Oilers, the National Hockey League. What was that like when you finally achieved that dream and you get drafted, not only by uh, National Hockey League, but your hometown team? He couldn't ask for anything more special than that. I mean, obviously, you get to go home to play pro. Not many kids get that opportunity. So it, it was, it's kind of like a Cinderella dream. You actually get to go home and play pro. And fortunate enough that the team just happened to be really good at that time. Yeah, they were. Um, I guess you and Edmonton really clicked because you stayed there essentially about 10 years from 1980 to 1991, right? I did. And what was the city of Edmonton like to play in? Uh, you know what? For me, it was just home. I think that was the biggest thing. But the, the city had high expectations for us, and we had high expectations for ourselves. So Glenn Sather had kind of brought us all up that it was a family atmosphere, and he wanted to be successful, and he tried and put us in a position to be successful, and it worked out good for us. Now, for the people who are not Canadians, you know about Edmonton Mall, right? Yeah, I may have been there once or twice. Tell us what Edmonton Mall is so that other people would know. Well, for, for the people that don't know, West Edmonton Mall is, I think it's still the largest mall in the world. And I know it was for the longest time. It's got, what do we got? We got an indoor water park where you can swim, you can surf, that sort of thing. It's got an amusement park where you can go ride roller coasters and all that good stuff. Plus, it's got, oh, I don't know, probably four or 500 stores in it. So it's an entertaining spot. Good, way, good place to spend the winter when it's too cold to be outside. Yeah, I've been to the America's Mall in uh, Minnesota, but I've never been to uh, Edmonton, West Edmonton Mall, but that's on my bucket list. So one day you're going to see me walking around that world's largest mall. Um, it's, it's definitely worth going. 
Do you recommend that I go into summer or into wintertime? Ah, uh, you know what? It's good both time, both time, to both sets of season. Where the water park's open in the summer, it's open in the winter. So if you like swimming in the winter, the water park's a good time. Excellent. Uh, once you got to Edmonton, essentially you won four uh, Stanley Cups with that team. How did that happen? Uh, you know what? We we knew we were a good team. We just didn't realize how good we were. We all we were a young group of guys that were semi-talented that just loved playing the game. And we started off with a little bit of success. We lost to the Islanders in 83, but we realized that maybe we were good enough to win a championship. In 84, we kind of turned the corner and we won our first one. And then everybody said, well, it's hard to repeat. So we went out, won our second one in 85. We had a little oops in 86 and kind of gave that one back. But then we won again in 87 and 88 and gave one back in 89 and then won again in 90. So I mean, you it, must, it was a good little run there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you must have been the uh, hometown heroes for a long, long time winning uh, four Stanley Cups, which is the national sport in uh, Canada, obviously, right? Well, it hasn't changed much. They're, they still look pretty favorably upon us. So beauty of being from Edmonton and winning in Edmonton is it, it leaves a lot behind. Right. Now, you had, uh, was Wayne Gretzky with you at the time? He was. I, mean, I was lucky enough. I played with Wayne there. I played with Wayne in L.A. Played with him in St. Louis. I coached with him in Phoenix after we were done playing. So we spent a lot of time together. And what kind of a, a player was he uh, besides, you know, being the greatest in terms of as a teammate? Uh, you know what? They call him the great one. That's, yes, it's for the hockey reasons, but it should be for the away from the game reasons. He's the nicest person that you could ever want to meet. I mean, for a young guy coming into the organization, he made sure all the young guys were comfortable. If they needed a car, he'd help them out with a car. If they needed to go for dinner somewhere, he made sure that they had somewhere to go for dinner. So he just did a fabulous job of making everybody feel like they were at home. Wow. So he, so he was a great human being. Fabulous human being. Now, you had uh, you shared your goaltending duties with Andy Mogg and uh, Bill Ranford, and you guys made a good run of it, right? And how did that work out for you guys, all three of you? You know what? I wouldn't have been as good as I was without those two around. So that was the fun part of our team is Glenn Sater was all about competition. So with Andy and I there, we used to split time and you had to play good if you wanted to play. So one, you were friends, teammates, but at the same time, you pushed each other to be better. Right. In 84, um, you were, they picked you to be the number one goaltender. And, uh, at that time, what, what were some of your thoughts that was going through your mind when you became the number one? Uh, you just, you want to perform. That's the biggest thing is you have to perform to stay there. So I was lucky enough to get to play game one in the finals, playing the playoffs that mm -hmm. year. And it just means that you've got to be good every day. Otherwise, there's somebody right there to take your place. What, what uh, do you think attributed to your edging, edging out the Andy? Uh, right time, right place. <laughs> I mean, it's lucky enough that Glenn picked me. That's because it could very easily have been Andy. So that's that was the fun part of it is I just happened to be right place, right time, and got the right opportunity. Excellent. In 84, you were also uh, selected to the uh, Canada Cup, but I guess you saw limited play because you had a, a, an injury of some sort. Is that correct? 
I did. I started and played the first, oh, I think four or five games in the Canada Cup. And then I forget what I twisted. I twisted a knee or something. So didn't get to finish the Canada Cup then. So that must have been quite frustrating for you, sitting on the bench, watching. Did you hear that? Okay. It's frustrating, but at the same time, it's also a learning experience. So you're getting to see the different teams from around the world and the different styles of hockey. So as much as you'd like to be playing, sometimes it's good to watch. Yeah, I agree. Um, In 1986, you had that uh, incident with uh, Steve Smith and that goal that he's uh, put into your net. What was your thought at the time when that event took place? Uh, you know what? Things happen in the game of hockey. That's the fun part is nothing ever works out to plan. So I mean, it, it happened early in the third period. And as good as our team was, we thought we would score another goal. It just it unfortunately didn't happen. But at the same time, that incident may have made us a better team. It just made us hungrier the next year. Now, was he trying to pass it to you, uh, but it just can bounce back? Or was he trying to clear the uh, puck or what? No, he's trying to make a pass across ice to one of our forwards that was going down the other side. Okay. So 34 years later, after that incident happened, do you have any fresh uh, perspective on that particular incident? No, we still look at it as kind of like shit happens. That's the unfortunate (laughs) part of hockey is that sometimes you get bad bounces. And we will be right back after this important message. And we're back. Meantime, Stefan Yell got it loose. Oh, look at the stop by Fjord. In 1987, you also selected the Canada Cup. Um, I, at this point, the world of hockey uh, noticed how great you were, and they were commenting that maybe this was one of the uh, best goaltenders in the game at the time because you played against really, really rough uh, and tough Russia, uh, Soviet Union teams, right? What, was, what were you thinking at the time when you, got, when you hear that kind of accolade? You know what? It's fun to be picked to play for your country. So your biggest worry is you don't want to let them down. You don't worry about whether how good you are or whatever. You just want to be good every day. And I think that's the biggest thing. And that's basically what kept me playing so long is you worry about each day. You don't worry about what the future holds. Okay. Um, Russia was really also a very strong team. How did you guys perceive Russia as an opponent? We knew they were good. I mean, some, a lot of their guys at that point had come over and played in the National Hockey League a little bit. So, I mean, we knew that they had as much, if not more, talent than we had and that we had to be at our best to be able to beat them. Did you have any idea or insight as to what made their national team great? One, they had great coaching. Two, they had a lot of talent. I and mean, I don't think people realize how deep the talent was in the Soviet Union at that time. So they had guys that weren't playing that, Went, out, went on to be stars in the National Hockey League. So that's it. They was just, they had a collective group that was as talented, if not more talented, than our group. I mean, what, did they, what, did they uh, play as more disciplined as a team? Or what was the, uh, I guess, what are some of the differences between National Canada team versus National Russian team? They played a different style. They were more about puck control and they didn't shoot from bad angles. They wanted the perfect scoring chance. So, 
you couldn't overplay things. You had to be a little bit more patient. So it was just a different style than what we played as Canadians. Because yeah, as a you know, neophyte watching Russia play, they seem to be more like a machine you know, coming down together and all those things. So, and then when you see Canadians, they were more freestyle, it seemed like. And so like, there was clearly a, a contrast in how they played and approached the game. Is that pretty uh, close? Yeah, it's a good way of putting it. I mean, it was a contrast of two different styles. I mean, we would chip a puck in and go chase it and try and get it back, whereas they wouldn't chip it in. They would just hang on to it and hang on to it until they got the opportunity that they wanted. So it, it was a contrast of two styles. The Canadian style is a little more physical than they are. So it, it made for great, great hockey games. Oh, I fully agree. It was, it was wonderful. Uh, are Russian teams still pretty good today compared to back in the uh, 70s and 80s? They are. I mean, they've got a great system of what they train their kids from very young. They stay in like Red Army, Dynamo, uh, Spartak. They grow in kids right in that system all the way up. So they develop great hockey players right from a young age. And it's more skill oriented than we are over in North America. Are great hockey players born or made? A bit of both. And I think... Some are born, some don't realize that they're great. They just have to be pushed and coached in the right direction to become great. That's true. That's probably true about life in general. Uh, in 87 and 88, I mean, you had a great year. Uh, after playing uh, against the Russians, that whole, uh, all those games, you also played 70, uh, I guess, 75 regular season games and all the playoffs. And you ultimately won the Vizina Trophy as the National Hockey League's top goaltender goal that year. How did that make you feel? Uh, it's, it's nice to be noticed and be rewarded for having a good year. But at the end of the day, it was still all about winning. I mean, we were lucky enough to win the Stanley Cup that year, and it's a team game. So that's the ultimate goal at the end of the day. The individual prizes and awards are a nice bonus, but you still want to win the Stanley Cup, and we accomplished that. So that was the great part of it. Yeah. So um, when you look – were you able to enjoy all those things while you were thick in the middle of the things at the time? No, you enjoy it afterwards. That's the great part about getting old. I mean, <laughs> we can look back at it now and enjoy it more than probably when we were playing. Because we, at the time, you're just trying to get better and better. I got you. Um, you were also selected with the honor of being All-Star Games in 84, 85, 86, 88, and, and 89. That's quite an accomplishment to be an all-star uh, player. Were you surprised? You know what? You're always surprised. I mean, there was, there's so many good players in the league that any time you get picked to be in an all-star game, it's a lot of fun because you're with your peers. You're with the greatest players in the league. So it's, it's a great accolade to have. But at the time, yeah, it's a surprise because you know how many good players there are. Now, you're considered a clutch player. Is that accurate for you in your mind? Or is there something else that, that was going on in your head during the games? No, I, it's a great part about being a goalie. You control the destiny of every game. So you're either good or you're the GOAT. And that was the fun part of it is I, you know going in that you can make a difference. And I look at it as a challenge. And that's the fun part of sport is some guys worry about it. I thought it was a challenge and challenges are good. Were your teammates considered you a, really a cool player that really didn't get nervous about those games? And you came through. And a lot of those videos out there, you know, obviously support that. So uh, I guess you were a clutch player. And that's a good honor, isn't it? It's a great honor. I mean, you try and perform when you have to. I think that's the biggest right. thing. And sometimes you have to – if 
you got to be strong mentally. I think that's one of the biggest assets I had is I had a strong mind. So it helped me out in a lot of spots. So what were you thinking when you were, you know, when you were down a uh, goal or something like that? What, what was in your head? You just push yourself to not give up another one. I mean, some, with our team, if you could keep it within a goal, maybe two goals, you knew we could score goals. So it was a matter of not giving up that goal that kind of breaks the back. So sometimes you just have to find a way. It doesn't always have to be pretty, but you just find a way to make that extra save. Right. I mean, at this point, you hit the peak of your career, you can say, because you had so many uh, achievements um, of various kind. And then obviously with every peak, there's a valley, right? And at that point, uh, some things happen that uh, you probably are not very proud of. Uh, but, you know, we want to clarify some of those things. In 1990, um, yeah, you, might, you don't mind if we talk about it, do you? Because we want to clarify some of those things. No, not, not at all. Okay. It's easy now. I've lived through it all. Okay. Um, you were suspended for one year, basically, in September of 1990 by the commissioner uh, for some drug uh, abuse. Um, and you had to miss some, some games, uh, and you ended up going to rehab. What was going on at the time? Uh, you know what? I at that time I'd just gotten through. I'd lost my father. Um, it just be a lot of success and being young. I mean, I think that was the, it was a bad combination of everything at the same time, and it just got away a little bit. So a lot of personal issues that came together, and yeah, between personal issues and. You have a lot of success. There's a lot of opportunity as a young person when you have success. Not all of that, not all of those opportunities are good. So. Yeah. Um, was that something that you felt you needed to do to play or was that something you just did recreationally aside and then it just got a little out of control? No, it was just, it was just recreational. I mean, I think that was the biggest thing is Edmonton's a great city and we were the life of the, we were the life of the city. So. It just, sometimes you get tied up with the wrong things and you make bad decisions. And at that time I was young and not very bright. So I made some bad decisions. So your playing uh, wasn't necessarily connected to what happened there. No, my playing was what, that was the best part of the whole thing is it got me away from the world. Once I get on the ice, I'm in a whole different world and I didn't, didn't have to worry about anything else. I could just play. Right. Okay. So it's not like you needed that to help you or enhance your performance is what I'm trying to get at. No, not at all. It wouldn't have been an enhancement. I mean, that's the one thing about playing goal is that wouldn't have helped. Okay. Gotcha. Um, your ex-wife, I guess, uh, had some communication with the media. Was she trying to help the situation by trying to explain the situation or was she uh, doing something subvertly at that time in your opinion? Oh, I think we had just gotten divorced, so there might have been a little bit of payback in that. But unfortunately, she got tied up with some media guys that wanted to make a name for themselves. And it just so happened that I made the perfect target. So you live with the mistakes you make. I just got to live with mine on the front page of the paper. <laughs> Part of the fame and glory, I guess. Uh, how long did you think you were going to stay with Edmonton? Or when you were playing? You know what? I didn't really worry about it. You just took it year to year and played. And I mean, obviously, being from there, I wanted to play there my whole career. But when the year they traded Wayne, we all knew at some point we were going to be traded. Because if you can trade the greatest player in the game, then nobody's going to stay there forever. Right, right. So you weren't necessarily surprised in uh, 91 when you got traded away with a no, seven-player deal. 
No, you could see it was happening, that they were starting to trade people away and everything. So it wasn't a shock that I got traded. So the fact that you got traded wasn't related to uh, the issue that, that, was, uh, that just took place. You think it was basically a player and, and the management issue? Well, one, it was we were coming up on different salaries. And of course, as you win, you make more money. So they were starting a rebuild of the team and the organization. And it was time for me to try a different organization. Okay. And you went to Buffalo, obviously. Um, what were you I thinking at the time? Oh, okay. Toronto. I got shipped to Toronto first. What were you thinking when you went to Toronto, when they traded to Toronto? Some of the initial thoughts when you heard the word that you've been traded. You know what? I was excited because as a little kid, the only teams we got to see on TV were Toronto or Montreal. So being out West, you were a Toronto Maple Leaf fan. And if I couldn't play in Edmonton, that was the next best option was to play for the Toronto Maple Leafs. So I was excited to go to Toronto. Okay. So you're ready for the change in terms of psychology and the city culture. Yeah. I mean, it was a team that was just in the start of rebuilding. So that was a different aspect, but at the same time, you're in the media hotbed of the world and it was a fun place to play. Did you, do you prefer Toronto over Edmonton in terms of uh, nightlife at the time? Uh, you know what? There wasn't much nightlife. In the, where I lived in Toronto, you, had, you would have had to drive 35 minutes to go to the nightlife. So, <laughs> How old were you at this time when you got traded to Toronto? Uh, let's see, 90, what are we, 91, 92, uh, about 30. That's still young. So that's, anyway, um, it didn't quite work out for you in Toronto, it, it seemed, but when they traded you to Buffalo, that was actually a blessing in disguise, didn't it? Uh, you know, it was a good trade to Buffalo. And I got to be reunited with John Muckler, who was our assistant coach in Edmonton. So I walked into a setting that I was comfortable with. And I think, and that's the great part of all the trades I had is I walked into comfortable settings. There was nothing that wasn't uncomfortable. I mean, going to Buffalo, I could play for John. I went from Buffalo to LA, which had seven of the guys I played with in Edmonton. So that was comfortable. I signed in St. Louis as a free agent. There's a bunch of guys there that I'd played against and played with in all-star games. So that was comfortable. And then my last year going to Calgary, one, I get to come back home because it's in the same province. Two, Brian Sutter was a guy that I had admired when I was playing. And he was kind of an old school coach where there was kind of like Glenn Sather, kind of like John Muckler. So I walked into a good situation there. Excellent. Um, <clears throat> When you got traded to Buffalo from uh, Toronto, you actually ended up winning the Jennings uh, Trophy for the fewest goal, goals allowed. And, you know, by this point, some of the people thought that you had already passed your prime, but you proved them wrong. Yeah, we had a couple of good years in Buffalo. A good partner there. I Dominic Hasek as a partner, so had a really good partner there. But it, the best hockey was still to be – there's some good hockey still to be found. <laughs> And we will be right back after this important message. And we're back. And this is the reason why you look forward to every single game. You just cannot believe somebody, what you see from somebody. Grant Fuhrer, what a performance. Uh, the reason I want to talk about Buffalo is that there was an incident that was inter rather interesting that took place while you were there. Uh, it's hard to kind of put your head around nowadays, but I, you know what I'm referring to? I do. Actually, it was hard to wrap my head around it back then. <laughs> okay, I, let, me set, go ahead, let me set the stage. So uh, there was a Transit Valley Country Club uh, outside of Buffalo, which is a private country club. 
and you and some of your fellow teammates apply to be a member, it turns out that other people, other uh, white fellow players got accepted, but yours, you, yours did not get accepted. And they gave you sort of a lame excuse that your application was incomplete, that sort of thing. Tell me what was going through your mind at the time. I, at the time, I, it was like, okay, I mean, fine. The, the, the incomplete application wasn't quite, we knew that wasn't true. So we did a little digging to find out what the real reason was. And unfortunately, they didn't have any black members at that time. So it turned into a bigger deal than I would have made it. I mean, I, if you don't want, they don't want you there. There's no sense being there. So I went and joined another club who was happy to have me. Yeah, you went to Lancaster Country Club. Uh, but, I mean, <coughs> excuse me. Um, could you believe that after uh, you won that Jennings uh, trophy and everything and you and Buffalo had a good season that they would do this to some a hero like you? Uh, you know, I, I didn't look at it that way. It was, it's the first time I'd ever really seen racism up close and personal. So it was an eye opener because if you're in 90 by 92, it should have passed. But yet here we are in 2020 and it hasn't passed. So it was shocking then. And, but it's all how you look at it. Well, how did you look at it? You know what? At, at the time, then you just pay no mind to those people. You go about your business. You find a place where you're welcome. And that's what I did. And if they wanted to be that way, why would I want to force my way into a club where they don't want to have you? It made no sense to me. Now, some, I, I think you're, if I've read the information right, some of your uh, fellow teammates also bagged their uh, uh, application too. They just they didn't accept you, right? They did. Some of our guys resigned from the club and joined a different golf club as well. Um, in terms of racism, is there any racism in NHL today? Well, I think there's a little bit in every sport, but un unfortunately there shouldn't be any, And but there is. I mean, that's the unfortunate part of the world right now is there is, and it happens in every sport. It happens in the NHL. It's just not on that big a scope. Okay. Uh, let's move on then. After uh, you got later on, you got traded to LA Kings and you reunited with some of your teammates. What's it like to play with them the second time around, as opposed to when you first went into Edmonton? Things you know, change? Just, yeah, no, things hadn't changed. It was still just as much fun. I, it's like walking into old home week where you so, walk into the dressing room and you're comfortable. And you guys still pick up body languages and that sort of thing. You can predict each other's movements and that sort of thing. Oh yeah, you know exactly how they're thinking. They know how you're thinking. So it was good. I mean, it was unfortunate that I only spent about 10, 12 weeks there because I was a free agent at the end of that year and right, got a really right. good offer out of St. Louis. Yep, yep, you sure did. Um, that's where you won your 300th game. Now, that's a quite an achievement. When did you realize that uh, you had won 300 games? Uh, when the reporters asked me afterwards, Never kept track of how many games I won over the course of the year. You just wanted to win every night. So you go out and play as good as you can. And Okay. And then really... uh, you don't think about it when it's happening, right? Nope. Nope. You look, you look at all you accomplished after you retire. While right. you're still playing, you just want to keep building on it and trying to get better every day. Okay. And then you went to Calgary and then you won 100 more games. And essentially you won 300 games, right? Or oh, 400 games against Florida Panthers. At that point, I guess you've had enough. Is that what happened? Is that why you retired? Uh, the body had had enough. I mean, I tore up a knee in St. Louis, and the body was starting to get old. The mind still could have played. I probably could have thought my way through another year or two, but the body had had enough. 
I mean, I, you're spending more time in the trainer's room than you are on the ice. And it was starting to take the fun out of the game. And I always promised myself when I wasn't having fun that I would get out of it. So it was time to retire. So when, when the first day of the season uh, arrives and you're used to, you know, being out on the ice, how, how did that feel when you weren't on the ice on that first day? It was actually, it was difficult because you're used to doing something. So I was lucky enough that Calgary asked me if I would help coach. So after about two weeks of doing nothing, I was able to go coach. So I was back into a routine again and did that for two or three years in Calgary and then took a couple of years off and then ended up coaching again in Phoenix. So up until probably 10 years ago, I've always had the routine of being around the rink and you get used to seeing the guys. And that's the biggest thing you miss when you retire is the routine and seeing the guys every day. Right. Um, do great play ice hockey players make great coaches? Uh, some do, some don't. I mean, <laughs> you, they all see the game very well. It's how you translate the game. I mean, for goalies, it's a little bit easier because you stop the puck. It doesn't have to be pretty. It doesn't have to be fancy. Some guys are hung up on the methods and this and that. My theory as a coach was you've already got the talent to get there. I can help if things go bad, but you're there as a sounding board to help them think the game. Did you, did you enjoy coaching? I did. I actually had a lot of fun coaching. What kind of a different mentality do you have to be a player versus a coach? Well, the player, you control everything during the game. As a coach, you control everything up until the game. So that was the hardest part about coaching is once the game starts, you're sitting and watching, you have no control over it. Whereas when you're playing, you have control over that. That's very true. Um, it, that's uh, quite true. Um, I guess after uh, you look back on your life, you wrote an autobiography. Um, it's called Grant Fur, The Story of a Hockey Legend. Tell us what's, uh, what that book's about. Uh, we just covered all the different trials and tribulations I went through in my life and we actually, oh, what, three years ago, I guess, did a documentary also that just got released. So I, it was fun to look back at your life. I mean, most people don't look back at their life and don't get a chance to relive it. So I was fortunate enough, I got to do it in a book and got to do it in a movie. So it, it was a lot of fun. It's fun. It's interesting to see how much you actually forget. You did, there's things you take for granted that reporters and everybody remember that you don't remember so to go back and go through it all was a lot of fun so when you look back on your life what stands out what are some of the things that uh, are still fresh with you uh, that I enjoyed the game I enjoyed being at the rink every day I had fun every day I was there and that hopefully you leave the world a little better place when you're finally depart I, you try and make people happy so Stanley Cups and none of those are not nothing in particular they're just part of the big picture oh no they're still special I mean, you can't take the special out of those. I and mean, that's the fun part is all the success is fun to look back at. What's I mean, the most special? I've had that, more that fun stands. during COVID uh, that I got to play my first NHL game at home in front of friends and family. I think that's the most special part I had. That's great. The other big thing is that I've got so many good friends from the game. That, that's the thing that people don't realize is you have so many good friends that you stay in touch with even after you get out of the game. Right. That's great. And you do a lot of the uh, charity work too, right? You get involved in some of those? I do now. I mean, the last about seven, eight years, I've probably traveled between 130 and 160 days a year, helping raise money, different golf tournaments, different dinners, that sort of thing. So yeah, I'm a big, big fan of giving back.
And you are, you participated in the American Century Championship Golf, right? I did for about 20 years. Now I'm just old. <laughs> okay. Uh, if people, if your fans want to get in touch with you or some business opportunities want to get in touch with you, what's the best contact information for them? Uh, they can find me at GrantFear31 on Instagram. I think I'm GrantFear at Twitter. I'm GrantFear31 on Facebook. And if they're searching for me in person, I'm out at Desert Dunes Golf Club in Palm Springs about five days a week. I'm the director of golf out there. What do you shoot? I still play to scratch. So That's we, pretty... we still, we're still competitive. That's great. Well, we thank you, Grant, for your time. And uh, we wish you continued success in all your endeavors. And uh, may, you have, may you continue to success. This is Augustus Cho over and out. I don't block shots. We need a better goalie. When I'm at the rink, it was my sanctuary. He was never black to us. And once I'm on the ice, I control everything that I do. Listen, I've said it before, he's the greatest goalie ever lived. You don't win Stanley Cups without having a good goalie. We were lucky to have Grant to lead us out of that dressing room.